Okay, this is week nine of the journey of Job. We're still technically in our Job uh, aspect. And, and so last week, we even though we, we finished going through the book of Job, that we tried to answer the question, who, who is Satan? Um, and just kind of arriving at the conclusion that he's a liar and that God's words are trustworthy and true. Um, and so there's three questions that kind of uh, uh, beg to be answered when we look at uh, the book of Job. And one is, who is Satan? And then the second one is, where does evil come from? What, where, does, where does sin originate? Um, and then that's what we'll be looking at today. And, and next week, we'll be looking at how to actually help people um, with, with suffering. Um, Emily, I just saw your description here, uh, or your, your question on, on updating the Project Home Giving. I don't have a number as of right now. So I had one uh, on Sunday night, but I know that that's changed. And so uh, I apologize. So those of you who, who don't know, we... Um, tried to raise some money, or we did. We have raised money um, uh, for the Project Home uh, Day Center that meets in our building. And so, um, yeah, I don't have the final numbers, so sorry about that. When I get it, I will for sure email everyone out um, the, that number, and, and I'm excited about that. So, okay, so uh, here we are today. We're looking at this aspect of the problem of evil. There are, again, this, this is not going to be a sermon that... Um, that I am going to, that you, you know, you're not going to write home about this one. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is going to be a little, a little heavy, a little philosophical. To be honest with you, this is basically two hours of, of a lecture that I give in systematic theology. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk about it that long. I'm, I'm taking the important spots and, and I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to teach it. Um, but then at the end, right, Jesus is the hero. He's the hero of this story. And Jesus is the hero of the problem of evil. And so I want to be able to to still highlight the gospel and the joy that we can get, even at looking at a problem like this. Uh, and yet it's going to be a little bit, a little bit heavier, a little bit more philosophical. The problem of evil is going to be very similar to the question of human suffering, right? So um, there's evil in the world. Evil exists. That's one thing. Uh, how did that evil get there? The other question though, that, that is similar, but different is the problem of suffering. Why do people suffer, right? The, the problem of evil um, is attacking or not attacking, but it, well, it is, it's, it's going after the holiness of God. Is God actually good and just? Um, can he be if there's sin or evil? The second one on human suffering is really attacking the goodness of God. Is he actually benevolent? Um, and so there, there's a lot of overlap, um, but they're different. So today I'm, I'm, I'm only really going to be focusing on the problem of evil um, which is going to be a lot more philosophical. And so I'm going to say some things. There might be some of you on here that are like, what is he talking about? This doesn't even, I don't even, I don't care. I don't care about this. I don't care about that old dead guy who thought he knew what he was talking about. I don't care. Um, that's fine. Here, here's the thing with the problem of evil is it, it does come up. It comes up in conversations with um, people who are not believers, uh, people who might be consider themselves atheists or whatever, or even deists. I believe in a God but he definitely can't be good, right? And so that's the question that we're going to be trying to examine uh, this morning is how, how can a being that is infinitely holy, powerful, and good create a creature that even had the capability of sinning, right? If, if, if evil, if everything that exists in this world can be traced back to God, um, then, then how is it that he is not responsible for the evil and the sin in the world, right? Um, and I, that's, that's why it's uh, an attack on his holiness. Um, David Strauss, he was a German theologian, um, uh, 1800s. He called this 
this aspect of the problem of evil, the Achilles heel of the Christian faith, right? That if we, it's, it's almost, it's embarrassing, right? That we just cannot give an answer for this. And so uh, the phrase, and maybe this will be a little bit more uh, of, a, of a phrase that you might hear that if God is, um, if God could not have stopped evil in the world, then he's not omnipotent, right? He's not all powerful, right? He's, he's, he's a limited God. Um, and, and yet, if he was fully capable of stopping sin and evil, then he must not be a loving God. And so that, that's really the question that we're going to be getting after this morning. Um, what this is called and what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be looking at some different attempts throughout history that are called theodicies. And that may be a new word or new phrase. And a theodicy is simply uh, an attempt to, to defend or justify God. Theodicy, theodicy is uh, in the Greek, theos is, is God and dikaios is justice, right? So it's to justify uh, God. And so I want to, I want to look at some of these attempts and, and no one, Right? I'm not going to start this off here right now, that, that nobody, as of yet, as of today, at least as far as I know, um, April 26th in, in 2020, that nobody has been able to give a valid explanation for this. And so, so you're like, what are we talking about this for? Well, because I want you to know that there are some, there are some bad uh, logic and reasoning out there to try to justify the problem of evil or justify God in this problem. And the second one is to recognize that it is a problem. Um, logically, philosophically, uh, religiously to be able to say, uh, no, God, God's good. Let me try to use my logic and, and, and understand this problem. And, and then if I could just convince you that this isn't a problem, maybe you'll, you'll love God and believe in God too. And, and that, that's just not good. It's not wise that this is a problem. And the people that we're talking to and, and witnessing to, or, or whatever we're in relationship with, they need to know that I know this is a problem. Uh, we need to be able to do that, but we have to be able to hit this head on, right? That when people come at us with this question of, like, well, what about the problem of evil? I'm telling you right now, as your pastor, that you need to look him square in the eye and say, I don't know, right? That, because that, that, that's what we have to be able to do. And so, um, because we don't. And, and so to try to use one of these arguments, whether it's, that's, it's been used historically or by an individual specifically that we'll look at, to try to convince them that this view is right, knowing that it's wrong, that's, that's wrong. Uh, and you're only going to get yourself in more trouble once they use their logic and go, yeah, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. Okay, so I want to uh, look at four different attempts to justify God from the problem of evil. Uh, the first one is that evil is an illusion, right? So this would be saying uh, that evil doesn't actually exist, okay? This is, and that's just, that's, that's just flat out wrong, right? If, if evil doesn't exist, uh, be, be weary, be very weary. I've only met one person, um, that ever that I was talking with where they were in this category because the person who says evil is an illusion is to say that it's actually not wrong to murder. It's actually not wrong to rape. Um, yeah, run away from those people. Uh, they would say, no, society has constructed these rules and that's why we abide by them. But really there is nothing right or wrong. It's, it's just a, it's an illusion. Stay away from those people. Number two, evil is necessary is another view um, that and, and the, the, the reason behind that is that how can I know that anything is really good until I experience the evil, right? That, that this is elevated because of that. And so to, to know that good exists, evil has to exist. 
And again, there's a lot of uh, fallacies in, in, in thinking that way. One, biblically, though, is that uh, the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3 is called that. It's a fall. It's a fall from grace. It's negative. It's bad uh, when the world enters into that. Uh, but, but to say that, that evil is necessary to, to, to see how good good is, uh, is to say that the fall then it would actually be a good thing, right? Because it, it actually, the sin and evil helps us. In, in one way or another, and that that's simply not right. Evil and sin are are negative um, always. It's not not a benefit. The next one, and we're going to spend a little bit more time uh, on this one, is the fact that evil is a deficiency, and that's true. And I'm going to come I'm going to come back to this. There was a, a medieval term uh, called provadia, and, and provadia just means a, a, a lack. It's a lack of something good. All right, I'm, I'm going to come back to this, but this is exactly what um, one individual uh, named uh, Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz. Uh, this was uh, he. He came up with a theodicy um, that that is actually very good, and it's actually quite convincing. Again, I, I know I mentioned a lot of R.C. Sproul last week, and and it's the same this week. Um, he is just a brilliant mind when it comes to these things and discussing this and apologetics and defending the faith and. And um, he, he actually shares the story that when he was teaching a seminary class that he actually got dressed up. All, I got a, well, it's kind of hard to see the picture, but um, he just has, a, you know, just old school, big, big hair, you know, big robe. And he said that he actually got dressed up like this guy um, and went into the class and, and defended and taught this position as best as he could and actually convinced the class that this was an answer to the problem of evil. Um, and I have yet to do that in systematic. I've, I've thought about it. Uh, I just, I never have actually done that, but it is a very convincing argument. And so I want to be able to look at this now, again, there is a, an aspect of my Christian integrity that says I could probably use this to convince an, an, a non-believer to convince even a believer who's struggling with this. I could probably teach this in a way that they would go, yeah, that makes sense. Maybe God isn't the author of evil, and, and humans are, but but it's just not right because uh, I know the answer is wrong. <laughs> okay, so uh, I wanna I wanna look at this. Um, what what Leibniz uh, uh, teaches on this, what he does is he breaks down evil into three different categories. He says that there is there is moral evil, right, a lack of something morally good, uh, physical evil, and metaphysical evil. Okay, and I don't want to lose you here. Okay, so just just Trust me, just just hold on, hang on tight for this ride because we're gonna go we're gonna go flying, uh, and uh, and just just hold on. I promise that I, I'm hoping at the end you'll go. Oh, that's what he was trying to say. Okay, so just just hang with me. Okay, um, moral evil is anything that would be an action, right? So uh, committing murder, uh, something along those lines. Physical evil are tragedies. Um, uh, a calamity, a tornado, or a, a, an earthquake, or something like that. Metaphysical evil is is what we're going to call ontological imperfections. Okay, ontological simply means my being, my my essence, what makes me. And an ontological, a being imperfection, what is the is the aspect of of being finite. Okay, so so metaphysical evil is saying simply because I am, I am a creature, I am created, I am finite, um, that, is, that is evil, okay? Now, so then what he says and what he explains is that 
the physical evil flows out of the metaphysical. Okay, so let's just try to we got the metaphysical up top, big picture of of just being creature. And, and then the physical evil flows out of that. And then the moral evil then flows out of out of the, the physical evil. Okay, so they all kind of stem uh, one thing from another. Okay, so then evil exists because we have uh, uh, we have evil beings that are walking around, right? We have we have metaphysical beings that are lacking in something. They are finite walking around, and that is why evil exists if we follow this train of thought. Okay, so the only way that I could transcend sin or not be evil would be to not be metaphysically evil. In other words, to not be um, limited in my humanity, all right? Um, that, that's the only way I can get rid of sin is to not be human, right? To err is, is human. Um, and so that, that, that's where he's, he's following this line, okay? So then what leads us to the question, why would God create human beings that are limited, right? Why, why would he do that? How does he do that? Um, why would God create a metaphysically lacking being, right? And that's a really good question. Why would God create human beings that are capable of sinning or lacking in something like this metaphysically? Well, let's think about it. God can't. God cannot create something metaphysically perfect, right? This is the argument, right? God cannot create another God, right? Think about it. If, if God said, I want to create another metaphysically perfect being uh, that I want to create another God, can he do that? The answer is no, because that God that he creates will be limited in the fact that it was a creature, that it was created, that it's lacking something. It's not self-sustaining. It's not all these things that, that, that would just say, I, 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 we're going to be looking at this later on, that I, I am completely self-sufficient. That created being, that created God, lack, or little g God, would be dependent on the actual God. And so when we follow this train down, we say, okay, then God in creating man, which was a good thing, he created him, but just in the fact that he was created made him capable of sinning because he simply lacks the fact that he's not God, all right? That we, uh, we are finite individuals, right? And, and this, he would say, this was a thing that Leibniz would say a lot, is that this world that we live in is the best of all possible worlds, that God made it as good as he possibly could have made it, right? That, I mean, it, it could have been a lot worse, but he made human beings just the fact of being created, they're metaphysically evil, they're lacking, and then, then that flows into the physical evil and that flows into the moral evil, okay? So this is the best of all, all possible worlds. And so that alleviates then God from creating evil. He didn't. God simply created. And then it alleviates uh, man, or at least gives us the answer why evil exists, because we as beings sinned, because we were created lacking in something, okay? Now that's that's in a nutshell his his theory, his thought. This is a problem. This has two major problems. One um, is going to be an intellectual problem. The intellectual problem that we have is what uh, is going to be called the fallacy of equivocation. All right. And what 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 it means here is that he's taking the definition and the term of evil and he's actually changing the definition throughout his argument. All right, because when we go to when we look at moral evil, murder or rape, we would say, no, nah, that's that's punishable. That's that's clearly evil. Right. But to be finite, that's not evil. 
right? I, I don't, I don't punish somebody because they're, they're limited in some kind of weakness. That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense, right? So that's, that's where, that's, that's a, that's a problem, right? That we, we sin simply because we were created to sin, right? That's, that's, that's wrong, right? Biblically though, this is also bad. Um, um, and because we would say that then Adam cannot ever fall or there can't be sin or the fall can't exist because Adam was created that way. How can he then be held responsible? And that's just not the case, right? Um, and, and then the second thing would be then if, if that were the case, if we were created metaphysically evil, then there's no way we could ever escape evil. Even in the new heavens and the new earth, when we go to heaven, then the evil would always be present because there would be finite beings there. And that's simply not what scripture teaches. So we have issues with that. Okay. So then what do we, what do we do then, right? What, after all that, that's, that's, that's again, bad. Another fourth view. And then this is like, you know, if I'm in class, I'm like, okay, time for questions. Well, um, or we don't really have a chance to do that this morning. Um, the, the fourth one though, is that evil exists because man has a free will. That's one that's commonly said, right? And I, and I used to say this all the time and I, and I used to, you know, try to explain, well, yeah, evil exists because we were given the option to, to choose and we chose to sin, right? And so they try to, 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 to justify God by saying he created human beings. One way that I, I've even taught this, um, and I think it's, it's helpful, it's a helpful analogy, but it's, it's just in error. Um, one of them was that uh, if God creates a person and then there's a big hunk of marble and there's some hammers and chisels and all these different things, that doesn't make that man a sculptor, right? What that does is it makes him capable of sculpting, Okay, so to say man had free will, God didn't create us as sinners, he created us capable of sinning, and we chose to sin. That's really, okay, here's the problem, because why did we choose to sin, right? What was it? What was it going on inside? What prompted Adam and Eve to choose sin? Because if we say free will, that we're free to choose evil, then the problem is evil, evil is solved because it gave us the choice, okay? But that's the question is, why did we choose it? Why did we choose to do evil. There's a couple different views on this, right? One would be the devil made them do it, right? That they, uh, they were deceived into this thing. Uh, they were deceived, uh, into sin and that's why they, they chose the sin. Um, when, when that's the case, right, that the deception happens, would, would then humans be responsible for sin, right? There would be no punishment, uh, for that. If somebody lied to my child and he did something that I didn't want them to do, um, I can't hold him responsible when he was deceived into that. The other one is coercion. It's the same thing that, that human beings just simply wouldn't be responsible. And again, the narrative doesn't explain it that way. The narrative in the Genesis account says that they, they chose, right? That they weren't necessarily coerced into doing this, that they saw it was good to eat and they did. Um, so then we have to ask the question, what moral state were they in? All right, what, what kind of uh, moral state could, were, were Adam and Eve in, in the garden? Why did they choose evil? What was their orientation in the sense of making these decisions? And we can look at three different possibilities, that there is good and there is bad and there is neutral, right? That either Adam and Eve, that they were created evil, uh, they were created good uh, in their inclination to choose, or they were neutral in this, Okay. So I want to I want to look at that. Um, when we look at our ability to choose, all of our actions 
proceed from desire. Everything, right? Everything that you ever do and have ever done in your life, when when it's up to you, you know, when you're an actual functioning human being, and you choose to do something, it always comes from a desire. I choose to make a sandwich and put it in my mouth. Why? Because my my desire inside is I'm hungry, or this tastes good, or or whatever. It's socially acceptable at this party to eat eat finger foods, whatever it may be. I'm I'm choosing to do that. So my action always proceeds from desire. Okay. So if they're evil from the beginning, then they're fallen before they fall, right? They, they, they have fallen before they even fell into sin because they're sinners, right? That's um, just their inclination to sin, uh, right? Uh, so then therefore God is the author of sin, right? If, if their inclination, Adam and Eve, when they were created was to sin, that they weren't just capable of sinning, they were inclined to sin, then that four then goes and rests on God, and that's bad. Then, then the whole world would cease to exist. That can't be the case, okay? The second one is that is good, right? They, they were created good. Um, the problem with this is then how would they ever choose to do sin if they were good in their inclinations, right? Um, and this has actually been the church's position for thousands of years, that Adam and Eve in the garden were, were inclined to be good, um, but it's just not adequate. Because if that were the case, why would they ever choose to sin when that option came to them? The third one, though, is, is neutral. That they are, they are neutral in, in, in anything. They're not predisposed one way other, or the other. There's no inclination. The problem with that, though, is that if, if people have no disposition, they have nothing in them one way or the other, um, that, leads, that leads to paralysis, right? That you, then you can't ever make a choice that if something is in front of me and I'm not inclined one way or the other, I have no disposition, then I can't ever actually choose. And so that can't explain it. It just simply doesn't work. So the question then we will continue to ask is, what is free will, right? Freedom means to make a choice with no prior inclination, okay? No, no prior cause, okay? So when we say that, man, as a human being, I have a free will that I can choose, and what people mean by that is that I had no prior inclination. I did that on my own. The problem is that's just simply not right. It's not true, this would mean that I'm not predisposed to anything, um, and I would be totally unpredictable, first off, which human beings aren't, we're very predictable, um, that if, if, if we were all neutral in that, or we had complete freedom in my choices, then I would never really be able to do something nice for my wife, because I don't know how she's going to respond to this, right? If she's, if she's really, not, but no, we can, we can understand one another. Um, if this is our view of free will, right, in the sense that I can make a choice with no prior inclination, or understanding, um, then, then I have to believe that something can come from nothing, right? And science and everything else that ever has existed says that's not possible. Something can't come from nothing, right? And so freedom is determined. What is it determined by? It's determined by me. I'm choosing that, right? It's, it's self-determination. Freedom is to do what I want to do. The question is, why do I do it, right? I think it out, and then I choose it. It's been determined by me, all right? I hope you're, I hope you're tracking with me here so far, right? So, so um, everything that we do is determined because of who I am, of my choices. I get to choose this. 
right? But why is my inclination that way? Um, now, I just said that nothing, that, that, that something can't come from nothing. Um, uh, Augustine in the, in, in the second or third century used this phrase that's pretty popular within the church is ex nihilo, um, right? In, in Latin, where, where it talks about how when God created the world, he created it out of nothing, right? Now, that's true, but what he meant by that was that God, there was no pre-existent matter for him to shape the world and the universe, what, what Augustine meant by this phrase of out of nothing was simply that. Because where did the universe come from? It came from God, right? So it wasn't out of nothing. It came, it came from God. God chose and he said, I want to do this thing and this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. He wanted to create and so he did. Even God has to have a desire to do something before he does it. So this is a mystery, right? This is a, this is a problem. Right? What, what, was, what was our inclination? If it wasn't good, if it wasn't bad, if it wasn't neutral, then what was it? Um, Karl Barth, he actually calls this the impossible impossibility, um, this problem of evil, and, and why did we choose to sin? The problem is it did happen. So that means it's not impossible, right? And so nobody yet has ever, or has, has of today, again, like I mentioned, solved this, has figured it out, right? But, it, but at the same time, I don't think we should just rest in the fact that it will never happen, right? Because there are things that we learn um, as human beings and theologies that we get, gain greater depth of understanding. So to, to say, well, nobody's ever going to figure this out, I think is, is kind of selfish, right? It's, it's kind of arrogant to say something like that. Um, that everyone on this call, we've all learned something at some point, and that's why they're teachers and why they're our students. So what are we left with? Okay, so I just gave all that data, all information to say, this is all wrong. I gave all that information that I just rambled on for a long time to say there is a problem here. And I recognize there's a problem. So then am I left with nothing? So when, when, when somebody comes up to me and says, hey, man, there's a problem of evil. What, what is your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do I just lose? Is that, is that it? No, no, I don't, I don't think that's the case. Because the question is, or the, the a major aspect of this, is that there is evil. That the person asking that question then believes in the reality of evil. And what must there be for evil to exist? There has to be good. There is no problem of evil unless there is ultimate goodness. There has to be. All right, now, this is why. When I go back to that uh, understanding of, of evil is, is a lack of something, um, a negation of something. Let's look at it this way. Um, ego, evil is always described in the negative, right? It, it, and, and actually negative, right? Like subtracted from something. It's, it's lacking something else, okay? So it is impossible to define something evil, even within our own terms of language, without the good. This is why in scripture we have things like described as unrighteousness, immorality, um, uh, let's see, uh, a disobedience, right? Anti-Christ. None of those things exist without obedience, without righteousness, without uh, morality, and without Christ. That even anti-Christ doesn't exist without the actual Christ. So, so the existence of evil is actually one of the most overwhelming arguments for the existence of God and a good God. 
they need good as a reference point to say anything is evil. And only when we assume ultimate goodness can evil be a problem. All right. And that's what people are saying. They're, no, exactly. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to tell you, right? That evil does exist. And so that's a problem. Yes, yes, it is a problem. But to say to them that there is no God, no God right? Because if they arrive at that conclusion, hey, there's a problem of evil, therefore God doesn't exist, you actually have a bigger problem here. Because now you're saying that there is no such thing as good. And your problem of goodness is far worse than my problem of evil if you're trying to say that there is no God. Because if you say that there's a problem of good and a problem of evil, then, then and you're trying to say that there is no God, right, now what you're doing now is saying that evil doesn't actually exist. And, and again, those, those are the people you want to run away from. Some that says, oh, no, it's just a, it's a construct. We, there's no such thing as evil. No, if they're coming to us saying there's a problem of evil, well, guess what? There's a problem of good. And if there's a problem of good and ultimate goodness does exist, it's in God. Right, so their argument drives them to God or the denial of evil. So is that it, right? I wanna—I don't want to just end it here, right? Just some lecture, right? I could—I could have explained that in any religious sector, or sphere, or, or institution. Right? There's nothing in here that says, "But do I need that God?" Right? Who is this God? I just want to go back and look at what is my identity when it comes to God. Who is He? Right, and I and I was reminded of of the passage in Exodus, where Moses goes to God and he's like, "Who I, who am I? Right? Why do you want me to do all this stuff?" And then God answers him, and says, "I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that as I have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain." Moses said to God, "Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent them uh, sent me to you.'" And they asked me, what is his name? And what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt and will worship me on this mountain. I am who I am. I love this um, quote. I, I remember reading this when we were going through Exodus says, I am that I am, um, uh, the, what God replies, uh, the verbs uh, in Hebrew uh, to be, right? Connotating, continuating, unfinished action. I am being because I am being, or I am the ising one, right? I am the self-sustaining one. I am the creator God of the universe. Not a conceptual being, being in the abstract, but being active being. It is the intent of this reply. It is the reply that suggests that it is inappropriate to refer to God as was or will be. For the reality of this active existence can only be suggested only by the present is or ising, always is or am. Right? That's the God of the world, of the universe, of, and he's a good God. Right? And he exists. And, and do we need to defend him? Do we have to, to justify him? What he's saying is, I am. And I think if there's one thing that we learned from Job, it was this, is that God knows what he's doing and he's in control and he does things that I cannot begin to wrap my mind around. That's exactly what Job says in Job 42. I now understand things too wonderful for me. In other words, you, you do things that I cannot comprehend and I love you for that. But then Jesus, though, when he's approached by um, different individuals that are accusing him of being demon possessed and all these things. And, and he says, he says this, 
uh, in uh, John chapter eight, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. And he saw it and was glad. And they reply, you're not even 50 years old, right? And you've seen Abraham? Like, what are you talking about? Jesus, you're, you're crazy. You don't know, who, you haven't met Abraham. And then he says this, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am, right? Like we said at the beginning, God cannot create another God. It would, it would be lacking in something. And here we have Jesus, fully God, fully man saying, I am, this is me. I am God. I have always been and I will always be. I am the ising one. But does that answer the question of God's goodness, right? That he is ultimately powerful, yes, to answer the, the argument, well, God can't be all powerful or sin because sin exists. No, we know, right, that God's word is trustworthy and true. We looked at that last week. The father, the devil, the devil, father of lies is saying, no, man, he, he's a liar. Can, can God actually, did, did God say, has God said that? Yes, he has. He is the ising one. He's the all powerful, all sufficient, self-sustaining one. But is he good? And this is a phrase that I've used a million times at Hope Lower Town, that any single time I start to doubt the goodness of God, I just have to simply ask myself the question, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? And there was a couple of, I was actually on the phone last night with Drew Zolke and he almost made me completely change how I wanted to end the sermon of looking at the goodness of God. And I want to reference that. He actually talks, he's actually in his sermon, um, as he's preaching on the same thing, the problem of evil, that he is actually ending it with the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And he does this in a way, and, he, and, and because Jesus goes and he shows that he is, he is good and he is loving and he cares about people. He meets them where they are. But I chose Mark chapter 15, and this is, this is the death of Christ, right? I know we just spent some time here on Good Friday and, and over Easter looking at these things. But it says this at noon, Mark chapter 15, 33 to 39, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. And let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And it is finished. So at any time we, we can sit here and argue, well, was God all powerful? Yes, he is. Is God good? Is he loving? Yes. Yes, he is. I, because of Jesus, because of who God is, he is, I am. And it says this, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this was the son of God. Right, that curtain, that veil being torn in two is a beautiful representation of how God is now invading our space that no longer do we have to have one high priest once a year that goes through that veil and through that curtain, but now he is invading this space and our space. And he is all powerful and he is all good. Does evil exist? Yes. Is that a problem? Yes. But I think it's a bigger problem for people who don't believe. So in gospel application, do you trust the words of God? Right? We looked at that last week. It was the same gospel application. Do I actually believe this? That when somebody comes at me with a hard question, is it okay for me to say, I don't know? I don't understand. It's too 
too weighty for me. It's too heavy. It's too big for me to wrap my head around this. And yet I can look at the word of God and say, but I know that this is trustworthy. This is true. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word. And the second one is, do you believe in the goodness of God? And I think anytime that when there is human suffering and there is struggles and right now being stuck at our homes forever, it feels like to say, man, but is he good? Like what's, yeah, he loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He is good.